I'm excited. I'm excited for our church. I'm excited for this message. And um, I was back there. Mm. He will never fail. This is one of those where, like, the message that I have planned, I told the media team, don't start in with the stuff I have planned right away because i got to find a way to transition it because I don't know what God's going to do during worship, but I'm opening this up with a stand-up comedy clip. And so I was like, ah, I got to find a way to get into that. So this is it. You're hearing that right now, uh, how we are getting into that. Uh, Heather, go ahead and just play the clip, and then I'll catch it from here. I always get home late doing comedy, and my wife will be asleep, so I'll go in. I fix something to eat. I'll watch TV. I'll be home for like an hour. Then I'll hear my wife from the bedroom, and she'll be like, Nate, is that you? You know, you better hope to God it's me. <laughs> you have let some murderer get quite comfortable in this house. He is eating. <laughs> and if someone broke into our house, I don't, we, we, we don't have a gun to protect us. So, like, oh, I have a pocket knife. That's what I have, which is going to do nothing. I could hope to aggravate him at best. Like I'd cut him and he'd be like, you just ripped my shirt? And then he'd murder both of us. That's best case scenario. With a pocket knife. Cause I don't know how to use this knife in the middle of the day. Much less I'm gonna wake up out of a dead sleep and have some kind of knife skill I've never had before. And it's a flip out knife. You're supposed to go one motion, but I always have to pull it the rest of the way, so. He would be, he'd just walk in and be like, oh, I'm not really that nervous about that. You don't know what you're doing. I'm like, I don't. It's just there for show. Uh, so what we have to do, me and my wife, we have to sleep strategically in our bed to prepare for an attack. So my wife, she sleeps next to the door because it's my strategy. So, yeah, I drew it up. So, the plan is, is she's next to the door, so when the guy comes in, she's gonna lunge at him, whether she's awake or not, but she will lunge. <laughs> and she's from Alabama, she's pretty scrappy, so she will put up a pretty good fight with this guy. At least a good enough fight that I can be practicing with my knife on my side. I can already have it out. He won't even see the, that part. So when he comes to me, I'm like, I don't know if you looked over here while you fought my wife, but that used to be one whole pillar. I'm just saying, it's your call at this point. So I love comedy. Clearly, I've talked about it a lot. I do it, and you get to know a lot of comedians. That is one of my favorite comedians to watch, um, to listen to. He does an amazing job, and that was one of my favorite clips for years. And then God gave me this message, and I was like, okay, cool, God, that's great. And then this clip popped in my head, and I was like, man, that couldn't be more perfect, because it hit me. In this clip, he's talking about he's planning for an enemy that's going to attack them. And he has a strategy of what he's going to do. However, if you heard him, he has absolutely no idea how to defend himself or how to use the one weapon that he has at all. Doesn't even know how to open it properly. And that's when that clip sunk in for me. Because I'm going to get into it right now. How many of us in this church, Christians out there, those online, those on podcasts, those in the room, how many of us would say we don't know how to use the one weapon that we actually have? So today, I've got some verses for us, and I just now realized that I shot myself in the foot because I'm not going to put any of the verses on this screen. I'm going to read every single one of them out of the Bible, but I'm going to put the address up there, and I want 
everybody, either use your phones, or if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew right in front of you. You can get that Bible out, and you can open it up to whatever address I tell you. But I just realized I shot myself in the foot because I'm holding a microphone, and I, now I have to hold a Bible at the same time and figure out how to turn pages. So bear with me a little bit. But I ask you the question, do we know how to use the one weapon that we have? Go ahead and turn for me to Hebrews 4.12. And it's going to be thrown, oh, look at that right there, Hebrews 4.12. So now you guys can all look at where the address is. Now, I am lucky because I knew these verses ahead of time, so I bookmarked every single one of them. I will give you a minute, and then you let me know when you got it, and say, Ryan, I got it. All right, all right. We got about five people. Hebrews 4.12. I still see some people thumbing through and turning. New Testament, towards the back. All right, I'm going to go ahead and read Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to divining soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Hebrews 4.12. Now, go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians 6.17. Man, that was fast. Ooh, I got got it already. He already had a screenshot. I knew he was going to have a screenshot. I'm actually pretty sure he sent me this screenshot. (laughs) Ephesians 6.17. I'll give you one more minute to look for it. Got another got it? Here we go. Ephesians 6, 17. It's talking about the armor of God, and it says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So, we have proof in the scriptures that the word of God is our weapon. It is our sword. It is our knife. But do we know how to use it? Do you know your Bible? Mm, Thank you. Thank you for the honesty. I actually didn't even want an answer. I was just going to let that hang there, but that was awesome. Because he's honest about it. Because do you know your Bible? And I'm not talking about just knowing it. Let's look at James 2.19. I got you flipping and turning. Dwayne already put his Bible away. Had to grab it again. (laughs) He was cheating. I got you. I don't care what you use. You can use any Bible you want. You could type it in Google for all I care. It'll pop up. James 2.19. I'm going to go ahead and read it. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. The demons know. I'm not talking about just knowing your Bible. I'm talking about understanding your Bible. Satan knows the Bible. In fact, if you read through the scriptures, it says that Satan knows the Bible and he will use it against it. When he was tempting Jesus, he was quoted as saying, Isn't it written in the scriptures? He knows it, and he's going to twist it and use it against you. Because here's the thing. If you have a weapon but have absolutely no idea how to use it, it could easily be used against you by someone that does know it. Just like that comedy clip we watched earlier, you could hope to aggravate him at best. Because you don't know how to use it. I'm not talking about just knowing it. I'm talking about understanding it. I have right here a tiny little pocket knife. I bought this online from China. 
Even when Isaiah also. This is shaped like a bass guitar. It's a tiny little pocket knife. Itty bitty. Fits in my pocket. It's a nice little one to have. You can whittle a stick with it. I can cut open a package if I need to. I know how to use this knife. I also have here a butcher knife. Maybe. I don't really know, like, knives and the way they work. But this was from a set that I got. It's Cleveland Browns. It's pretty sweet. Cleveland Browns knife. I got a whole set of them. Um, and I know how to use this. I can chop vegetables. I can cut up the meat that I cook. I know how to use this knife. I know exactly how to use this knife. I also have a full sword over here. This is a Lord of the Rings sword, actually. This is Aragorn's sword, if you uh, follow Lord of the Rings enough. Um, and I can tell you, so I got this sword like 15 years ago. I was in a show, and I played a character that had a sword. And I actually had to learn just how to pull it out of the sheath. There's like a technique on how to do that. There's ways to do it, because otherwise I look like super awkward, because I would be like on stage, and I'm supposed to look like a regal prince. And I'd be like, and they were like, Ryan, you look ridiculous. I had to learn. I had to be trained how to use it, how to hold it, how to do things with it. I got a nice little certificate at the end. Um, however... If I was in a fight, I would not know what to do with this. I could maybe swing it, could poke it, but I would not know what to do with this. Because I've only been trained to pull it out, to take it out of the sheath and hold it. I've not been trained to use it. I've not been trained to fight with it. So I'm going to ask you today, do you know your weapon like the tiny pocket knife? Do you know your weapon, like the butcher knife, or do you know your weapon like the giant double-edged sword that it is? And do you understand it? Dwayne and I have talked a lot this week. We're going to be launching a series Bible study. We're going to be studying our Bibles. And today's message in that series is know your weapon. I want to encourage you as we prepare for this series and as we move through it, study your Bible. Don't just read it. Study it. I'm going to tell you a story of one time, because I've done all versions. I've, I've done through, read the Bible through in a year. I've sat through and read book, book, book. I've done timeline reading. I've done chronological reading. One study that I did one time was I picked a book. This was a while back. I'm pretty sure it was the book of John. And I studied the book of John. And honestly, you could read through the book of John very easily. You could pick it up, get through it in an hour maybe. I don't know how fast you read. That may be too fast, too short. I don't know. But you could read through it easily in one day, get through the book of John. Um, it took me over a month to go through the book of John because I read one chapter every day. And that chapter took me forever because what I did was anytime there was a notation, there was a quote, there was a little tiny thing, like a little reference that was listed in there, I looked it up. So then John would take me to the Old Testament, to 2 Samuel, and then it would take me back over here, and then it would take me back over here. It was like a choose-your-own-adventure book. Have you ever read one of those where it says, now turn to page 40, now go back to 10, now go to 96? That's what it was like. I was flipping and thumbing and going back through there. But you know what? I understood it so much more. 
Because then I realized that when Jesus was talking here, he was quoting scripture. When Jesus did this act, right, he, he was fulfilling a prophecy. But before, all I did was read it. Before, all I did was go through and go, wow, that was a cool story. Boop, turn the page. I want you to study this week. I'm not going to tell you where to study. I'm not going to tell you what book, what chapter, what story. I'll leave that up to you. I'll leave that up to you and God. Let God tell you where to study. But study it. Don't just read it. Study it. Here's some things I want you to pay attention to. Location. Location is very important. Names. Names are very important. Something that seems like a very weird statement and you don't know why it belongs, probably the most important statement in that story, quite honestly. If you get to a, some, like a chapter and you're reading it and you're like, well, I have no idea why they said that. Stop. Figure out why they said that. Look into it. Put yourself in the story when you read it. Because, okay, didn't turn my sound off. Put yourself in the story when you read it. Because any good storyteller knows that the details are what make that story. For example, I'm going to give you a story and you're going to tell me which one gives you the better picture. I had a terrible day, finally got to work. Okay? I had a terrible day, my car broke down, finally got to work. I had a terrible day, my car broke down, and I had to walk, finally got to work. I had a terrible day, my car broke down, I had to walk from Xenia to Dayton, finally got to work. There's a difference. They all are the exact same story, every single one of them. And too often, I feel like, and this is me, as what I would call not a baby Christian, raised in the church, raised on the Bible, too often I read it and I know the story. So I just go straight to, had a bad day, finally got to work. Because I know the story. But then I realize, well, why did they have a bad day? Oh, they had to walk to work. How far did they have to walk? 15 miles he had to walk to work? There's a complete difference when you know those details and you're putting yourself in the story. There's a huge difference. Like I said, locations, that's a big one. Put yourself in the story because like I said here, when I talked about I had to walk to work, okay. Well, you know in the Bible, it's gonna tell you they traveled from this place to this place, from this location to this location. And unfortunately for us, we don't know that. We don't know, I mean, unless you're like, if you know that now, awesome, thank you, let's have a meeting so you can teach me. Because I gotta look it up I, truthfully, I don't even look in the maps in the back. I just Google it and go, how far was it from here to here? Because that's way faster. <laughs> but it paints a story completely different. If it says, and then the army marched from one city to the other, cool. I don't know what that is. That could be one mile. That could be 20 miles. That could be 2,000 miles for all I know. And there's a big difference because it may say immediately what happens. Are they dead tired? Are they exhausted? Have they rested? Those are things that when you put yourself in the story, you're going to understand it differently. Those small details make all the difference. Turn with me. Here's a quick example. Turn with me. 2 Samuel 11, 1. Very familiar story. Uh, 
give everybody a minute. Second Samuel eleven one. All right, I got some goddits. We're going. This is the story of David and Bathsheba. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now, we could quickly breeze over that sentence and go, wow, that's a cool intro to that story. But when you really pay attention to it, it says, in the springtime, the kings go off to war. Fast forward a little bit, but David remained in Jerusalem. That's very quickly to breeze over, but if you put yourself in the story and connect those two sentences, that means David was not where he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be with the army off to war. You guys ever been in the wrong place at the wrong time? In a place you shouldn't have been and you got in trouble for it? I used to decorate yards when I was in high school with Charmin and Scott and forks and sparklers and a whole lot of other stuff that I will not say. But I used to decorate yards. People loved it. One time, this was not the only time, but one time I got caught. And I got caught by the homeowners, and I ran. And they called the police. And I got chased by the police. And I got boxed in by four police officers. And I was forced to go back and undecorate this yard. And they had a very fun conversation with me that for the sake of time we will not go into. But they called my dad. It was 3 o'clock in the morning. Here was how that conversation went. Excuse me, Mr. Voorhees. This is Officer so-and-so. Do you know where your son is right now? Well, he should be downstairs asleep. I should have been downstairs asleep, but instead I wasn't, and I was getting in trouble. David should have been out to war with the army, but instead he wasn't, and he got in trouble. One sentence makes that story make so much more sense. Because before, it's like, okay, David's the king, whatever. The guys are out to war. David's the king. He has an affair with Bathsheba. Well, you know what? If he was where he should have been, he would not have had that affair. One sentence that's so easy to breeze over. Got to study it. Pay attention to the details. For this upcoming series, we're going to look at some familiar stories. We're going to look at stories that some of us have heard a million times. Maybe it's a story you've never heard. Maybe it's one of those weird, obscure stories where somebody kills the fat king and the sword gets stuck in his stomach and they wait until embarrassment to go check on him. If you've never heard that story, that's a good one. See me after. <laughs> Because I didn't even, like, write that down. That was just one that came to me. So. <laughs> Ehud. Go just Google Ehud. You'll find it. So we're going to look at some familiar stories. And we're going to study them. We're going to go into them. What they mean. What's happening. Today, I am going to start with another story in the life of David. You thought I was going to be bad. Bathsheba, right? Who thought I was going to stick on Bathsheba? I wasn't. Okay. <laughs> We're going to turn into another very, very familiar story in the life of David. 1 Samuel 17.
Who here has heard the story of David and Goliath? I got five people that raised their hands, six, seven, eight. Okay, I'm just kind of hoping just about everybody's at least heard those names before. See, David and Goliath, that's one of those all too familiar stories. A lot of us have heard it. A lot of us grew up with it. We've seen the Veggie Tales. We've seen the 90s cartoon about it. We've seen Davy and Goliath. We've read the story. We've seen the flannel graph. We've got the picture book. We know the story. But have you put yourself in it? Have you put yourself into the story? Don't just gloss over it because it's a familiar story. I'm going to set it up just a little bit, and if you guys are patient enough with me, we're going to read all of chapter 17. That's a lot. We might skip around. (laughs) I read through this whole thing already, and I was like, this is going to be great. And then I was like, that's a lot of reading. So we might skip around a little. But let me set this up for you. Anybody here ever seen the movie Troy? Okay. Troy does a great job of portraying what armies used to do sometimes. And the Philistines did this often. Where what you would do is the two armies would meet each other. And they would send out a champion. So instead of bloodshed across the board, instead of thousands and thousands of lives to be lost, you would settle it between a quest of champions. One versus one to decide it all or to decide who attacked. So it was commonplace in some ancient times and specific ancient cities did this where they would send out their champion to fight and to try to settle the fight beforehand. And then we know David comes out. And this is a story everybody loves because they talk about it in sports often. The underdog beating the mighty D1 school. This isn't just Appalachian State beat Michigan, okay? This isn't just like the underdog boxer that nobody's heard of beating the heavyweight champion. This is completely different. And let's find out why. 2 Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their forces of war and assembled at Soka in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damamon, between Soka and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. Pause. So I looked this up to find out what this looked like. This was about 10 miles away from Bethlehem. And there was a giant hill that went up one side, and then a valley. And they were several miles apart, and then another big hill that went over the other side. So you had the Philistines on one hill making camp, and the Israelites on this other hill making camp. And they would march their armies into the valley, and this was the battle line on one side, and this was the battle line on the other side. And proceed. Chapter 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels, On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, and his shield bearer went ahead of him. Pause again, because I want you to get this picture. He's nine feet tall, over nine feet tall. In fact, it goes off of cubits and all of this other stuff, and you got to know ancient measurements, so basically, I googled it. Um, 
And some estimates are upwards to nine foot nine inches tall. And he wore a lot of bronze, a lot of bronze. And it says how much that weighs. Who here knows what a shekel weighs? Me either. So the total weight of all of his armor was 125 pounds. Yeah, it's a lot of weight. My wife and I go backpacking. I try to make sure my pack is no more than 20 to 25 pounds. What's Dominic's pack? 45 pounds. That's a lot of weight. It ain't 125. He's huge. And he's strong enough. There are people who will dissect this story and they'll be like, well, he suffered from gigantism and so he had very bad eyesight and was probably deformed and, you know, this was difficult for him. No, he was strong. He was a bad dude. It says in here, and we're going to get to it, that he's been fighting since he was a youth. He knew how to fight. He was strong. When it talks about his spear, that spear was 12 and a half feet long and would have weighed 33 pounds. Okay? 12 and a half foot long spear. Here's some other stuff you got to understand. A javelin, he had a sword, a javelin, and a spear. And he had a shield bearer in front of him. That's what he looked like. When he would walk out there, all nine foot, nine inches of him, covered head to toe in bronze, spear on his back, javelin in his hand, and a sword in its sheath. And then he had a man in front of him. Now, it does not say how big that man was, but that's got to be one big shield that he had to carry. And he had a javelin. A javelin is a throwing weapon. You're going to throw a javelin forward. Now, a spear is a long-distance stabbing weapon. So in ancient fights, a sword is going to be more close combat. You're right next to each other. Whereas a spear, an average man's spear is going to be six to seven feet long. You usually want it about six to 12 inches longer than the person, and that gives you a distance that you can stab your enemy before you get close enough to them with a sword. Just something to know because it's important to this story. His spear was 33 pounds and 12 foot long. I don't know if anybody in here has gone to the gym before, but that's like basically an Olympic weight bar, but longer, and he's holding that out at 12 foot length to be able to stab somebody. That's a lot of strength that this guy had, okay? Proceed. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. It's pretty scary. You got a guy who's huge, covered in bronze, with weapons bigger than they are, challenging them. 1v1, winner prevail. Here's where we're going to jump forward a little bit, and I'll just give you some background. David was a youth. By all accounts, most people believe he was between the ages of 13 and 15. Because around that time, you had to be 20 to serve in the Israelite army. But 13, if you know the Jewish faith, was when a boy becomes a man. So, he was a youth. But he worked the fields. He was a shepherd. He was not old enough to join the army, but he still had a job. He still was doing stuff. He still had some responsibility to him. And his brothers are in the army. They're fighting. 
And daddy, Jesse, sends David to them and says, take them this food and report back to me how it's going out there. And so it said that David would go out there, come back and forth and deliver and bring them food. Remember, I just told you before, he's from Bethlehem. That's 10 miles away. So on a regular basis, he would travel 10 miles to the valley, give them food, give them what they needed, get reports, send those reports back to dad, travel 10 miles again on a regular basis. And there's quite a bit in this chapter after this where it says what he did was his dad told him to go. He said, okay. He found another shepherd to take over his flock for him. He made sure all of his affairs were in order so that he could go do this, and he went that day. Those are details to pay attention to that he's also responsible. He's doing what he needs to do. He didn't just drop it, leave his sheep, and say, I'm out of here. No, he did everything to line up what he was supposed to do, take care of all of his stuff, and go. And then he gets there, and at this time when he gets there, the Philistine army is lined up. I don't know the other times because it says that he went back and forth multiple times if he never saw this, if he never saw the armies line up and didn't have a report and didn't know what was going on because this time he gets there and he sees the armies line up. He sees everybody there. And then he sees the Philistine champion come out and challenge them. Said that for 40 days, Twice a day, Goliath came out and challenged them. Forty days. It's a pretty long time of these guys just cowering scared. Nobody willing to fight the champion. And then David gets there, and he hears it. And he goes, what'd they say? It says in here, he asked, I believe, three different people. What did Saul promise? Saul promised, and let me read it here. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. Some pretty good prizes, right? And David asked the men standing near him, what shall be done for the man that kills the Philistine? And they said the same thing. So David kind of starts to stir the pot a little bit. He starts to hear what Goliath said and starts asking the armies, what do you get if you kill him? What is it? He starts asking around. His brothers kind of try to punk him down a little bit. And they say, we know the pride in your heart. What are you doing out here? And David goes, what have I done wrong that you would treat me this way? So he's stirring the pot asking, what will they get? What will they get? That's all he's asked. He hasn't said, I'll do it. Let me at him. I'll do it. He just keeps asking, what will they get? Verse 30, he then turned away to someone else and brought up the same manner, and the men answered him as before. When David, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. So all David's doing is showing up and asking, hey, what's going on, guys? What does the man get if he kills Goliath? No, what does he get if he kills Goliath? Are you serious? What does he get if he kills Goliath? Does nobody else want that? Does nobody else think they can do it? So Saul says, bring him to me. David said to Saul, verse 32, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been fighting, he has been a fighting man from his youth. 
But David said to Saul, I got this. He said, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Now here's a picture that I want to paint for you. David was 13 to 15 years old. Now, he could have been fully grown. But Saul calls him a youth. Later, we're going to see Goliath even says, who is this boy that comes out against me? So he's 13 to 15 years old. He's probably not a full-grown man yet. Saul is listed as standing head and shoulders above all the others. He's listed, Saul's listed as a bad dude, if you look up Saul. Head and shoulders above the rest. So he goes to this 13-year-old boy and says, all right, man, you're it. Here you go, take this sword that's as big as you are. Boom, there you go. Take my helmet, that might fit a little bit, all right? And David tries to walk around. He goes, this ain't me, man. I can't do this. I'm not used to these. So he takes them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. So, David comes out with his shepherd's staff, a sling, and he picks five smooth stones out of the stream, which I forgot to say earlier, when you had the hill, the valley, the hill, there's actually a stream that ran through as well. And he picked up five smooth stones. Now, there's a lot of debate on why David picked five stones. Some say, well, so he had many chances. If you study it, Goliath had four siblings. And he was their champion. And his brothers, almost as big as he was. So there's some speculation that if you study this out, David was like, I'm taking out the big guy, and I'm going to be prepared for the others that are coming too. So he gets ready. The Philistine is standing there, ready to go. He's got sword in its sheath, spear on his back, javelin in his hand. Those are very important things to remember that order that that was described. And he's nine foot, nine inches tall. So here's what we see. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. This is where some people will say, oh, he had to get closer to see who David was. That's why he had gigantism and couldn't see well. No, the javelin is a long distance weapon. And he hadn't thrown that yet. It's still in his hand. So that's a long distance weapon. I could tell you, if I saw a 13-year-old boy across the way, I'd have no idea if he was a man or a boy. So Goliath gets closer he looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come out at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. 
David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, and I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. There's a standoff that's happening. Isaiah, pop up here for me. Isaiah recently turned 13, right, buddy? Perfect. I'm 5'11". If I stand on this, I'm still not as tall as Goliath. I measured it. I'm an inch short. Now I'm as tall as Goliath. <laughs> this is what the Israelite army saw every day. Except it wasn't a six-foot dude standing on a speaker. It was a dude this tall with muscles to match, with weapons taller than this, a spear that would have stood three feet above his head even, the javelin, the sword, and David. Back up a little bit. Right there. I don't know if they were this close. The Bible does not say how close they were when it happened. But this is what everybody else saw. Was this dude and that dude. And here's one thing I've always wondered. Nobody protested. Saul told David, hey, you know, you're just a boy, you can't do this. And his brother gave him flack. But that champion right there was supposed to represent the entire Israelite army. And if he dies, either they die or they become slaves. You think anybody was on those front lines like, hashtag not my champion? Like, mm, man, I don't know if I want that guy. Ooh, you see him? Do you think anybody else was like, I object, not me. We don't have a record of it. In fact, when you read through the story, because we know how this ends, Goliath is slain. And as soon as Goliath was slain, the Israelite army charged forward. It's not like they didn't know this was happening. It said the armies were lined up facing each other, ready to fight. It's not like they were like, uh, man, is there somebody out there? No. They were all watching. They were probably more nervous than David because David had confidence. David was ready. Thanks, Isaiah. He said, today you will die and people will know who the Lord is. He was ready. Those Israelites were scared to death for 40 days and 40 nights and now they see a 13-year-old boy going to represent them. I'd be sitting there in my armor like, oh my gosh, be ready to turn around. Be ready to turn around, okay? You know, I'm just going to face this way. I'm going to be ready. This is going to happen, okay? Hey, you, turn around too. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Let's see what happens. No, they were ready. Since they charged. The nine foot, I mean, basically my head was close to the ceiling there. And a 13-year-old boy. It said the Philistine moved closer to attack. So here's the way this would have looked. Let me read it out. The Philistine moved closer to attack. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. So they still didn't reach the battle line. The Philistine has a long-distance weapon. He's probably killed hundreds, if not thousands of people with his javelin and his spear. Sword is a last-ditch effort. He has not unleashed and thrown his javelin yet. So he's not even close enough to him yet. 
He's charging towards him. And it said, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it. Pause. Couple different schools of thought here. He also had a staff in his hand. So he had a staff in one hand and a sling in the other, and he had to fumble out and get a rock. Or, if you view this, there's actually a thing called a shepherd's sling, where the sling was tied to the shepherd's hook, and that's what he was using, and he was ready for it. He knew this is how it's going to go. He was a shepherd. Makes sense that's what he would have used. So it's not necessarily... There's a lot of pictures of David just back here swinging this, this arm's free. No, he had a stick too. Said he had a stick in his hand. Put yourself in the story. He's maybe swinging this staff around, charging, slings the stone, struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. Goliath is not dead. Doesn't say he's dead. Says the stone fell for, hit him in the forehead, the one weak spot in all of Goliath's armor. He had a helmet on, he had chest plate, he had his legs covered, he had a shield bearer. He had this much space to land a stone. And he nailed it. And Goliath falls face down. And this is how I know this wasn't close combat, because Goliath still had his spear, he still had his javelin, and his sword was in his sheath. Because it says, so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. But David ran over, stood over him, he took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. They weren't even close enough to fight with swords yet. And he drills him with the stone. And then for good measure, David takes his own sword from Goliath and cuts off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sharon Road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put the Philistines' weapon in his own tent. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, as surely as you live, O king, I don't know. The king said, find out whose son that young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. The Israelite army was ready. As soon as Goliath was fell, they charged and pursued. And you know how far away that is from that valley to Gath? another 10 to 15 miles possibly. And it says their bodies were strewn along the road. It's a lot of bodies along a long way. And I just picture, this is one of those, like I, there's not even necessarily something spiritual I'm drawing out of this, but just picture this in your mind because he was a giant, nine foot nine. His head ain't my size, Okay probably a lot bigger head. And David's just carrying it around. Saul wants to speak to him, says he's still carrying the guy's head. Hey, what's up, man? Funk. I researched this story this week and studied it out. There's so many people who ask the question, was it possible? Was it possible for David to kill Goliath? Could it have happened? That's so many things that are in 
like forums online and books and papers written is people trying to figure out, could it have even happened? Could there have been a guy that tall? Maybe he wasn't that tall. Maybe he was. So much speculation and debate and talk. And could a sling really have killed a man? All accounts point to yes. But that's not the point of this story. All accounts point to that a normal sling and a tiny stone, that stone would have traveled well over 100 miles per hour, close to 120. With a staff, it multiplies that even more. So you got to imagine a stone flying 120 miles per hour into somebody's forehead. It's going to hurt. It's going to do some damage. So yeah, a stone could have killed him, could have knocked him down. But that's not the point of it. They're asking and trying to find out, could he have really killed him? Is it absolutely and scientifically possible that he could have? Yeah, I guess it could be. But while we're on it, are you Googling, can an axe head float? Can a donkey talk? Can a man raise from the dead? Can a sea part? I'm not Googling those things. Can three men survive in a furnace? Can a man walk on water? The point of the story is not if it was scientifically possible. The point of the story has three purposes. One, to show that Saul was scared. And this was the beginning of the end for Saul. Because it's already written. Saul was head and shoulders above the rest. Saul was the king. Saul was the leader. Saul should have been that champion. It's how that went a lot of times. You pick your best, you pick your strongest, and sometimes that's your king. He was too scared, but he was willing to give his armor and his weapons over. Like, you know what? If the king can't do it, maybe it'll be the king's stuff that could do it. Another purpose to this story is to show the faith and competency of David because he's been anointed king and he's coming for that throne. And the third point is to show that God is bigger and will have the victory no matter what. That it doesn't matter if you're going up there with a sword. It doesn't matter if you're going up there with a sling. If you're going up there in the name of the Lord, there will be the victory. Even David, who won the battle and saved the day before ever winning, before he even won the battle, he gave that glory to God. He wasn't the guy who scored the touchdown and then said, ah, glory to God over that touchdown. No, he was the guy who said, I'm about to score, and it's all because of Jesus. I'm going to win this fight, and it's going to be because of the Lord, and you will know who the Lord is. You know the part that I love so much about how God works? I had this sermon written. I knew what we were on, and I had the story of David and Goliath. Turned in all my verses, turned in everything, and then God said, hold on, one more thing. And I love that God chose David and Goliath to kick this off, because you know what? David knew his weapon. I don't know if you caught that. David knew his weapon because he was given another weapon. He was given armor and a sword and didn't want them because he wasn't used to them. But his weapon, he knew his weapon. He understood his weapon and how to use it. He was experienced with it. He trained with it. He knew it and he understood it. He was ready to fight. Because he knew his weapon. Do you know your weapon? I'm sure we've all heard this story before. But have you put yourself in the story? Do you read to know it? Or do you read to understand it? We want to study the Bible. And we want to do a series on the Bible. How to study it. How to read it. How to understand it. 
here, I'm not saying these are going to be things that we're going to dissect or study. Um, these may be things for you guys to study. I mentioned Ehud earlier. Here's some stories that are crazy. David killed a giant. We just studied that. A wall fell. A donkey talked. There were giants and there were Nephilim. Bears killed teenagers. Jesus walked on water. Miracles happened. An axe head floated. A man was swallowed by a fish. Bread was cooked with poo. Jesus was transfigured. That's a whole thing that I just said right there that you're like, there's no way those are all in the same book. They are. And there's a reason to each and every one of them. There are details in there that matter. There's so many things that happen in the Bible, and we may know the story. And if you're like me, I know the stories. And I often breeze over them too fast because they're so familiar. Because it's so familiar, I think I know it, and I go over it. When there may be something in there that I've missed because I got too familiar with it. So do you understand it? Do you know how to use it? We're about to start our small groups, which I'm very excited for. If you are not plugged into a small group, please see Holly, please see Chancy, see one of the pastors. We'll get you plugged into a small group. Small groups meet on Fridays, and usually we discuss what Sunday was. We're going to be starting something called growth tracks in our small groups and discussing Sundays, while flipping Sundays are also going to discuss growth tracks and this Bible study. Because everything that we do and what we're doing in growth tracks is pulled out of the Bible. They're going to go together. So I want you to get ready and to buckle up. And please, my challenge to you this week, and not just this week, don't do it for like the next seven days and be like, I did it, Ryan. Cool, keep doing it. Um, read to understand. Read to study. Look into it. Don't just, let me pause. I was gonna say don't just take it at face value. It's the word of God. Take it at face value because it's from the Lord. But why is it there? Why did they say that? Look into it and study those things so that you can understand it better, so that you can use your weapon. Because like I showed in the beginning, that clip of the comedian who had no idea how to use his pocket knife because the enemy was coming after him, we've got an enemy. And we got one weapon. And here's the thing. That enemy knows how to use this weapon. So we have to know how to use it better. Pray with me. God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for our church. I thank you for our leaders. I thank you for the blessings that you give to us. God, I pray for our direction. Lord, as a church, as we grow in new and exciting ways, as we grow as a church, not just in our numbers, but as we grow as Christians, as we grow as followers, Lord, I pray that you are speaking into us, giving us a knowledge and an understanding and a wisdom, Lord. God, I pray that you will give our church a passion. God, give us a passion to seek you, to understand what you say to us. I'll speak for myself. Oftentimes, I feel like I forget to dive in. Oftentimes, I feel like it was almost a chore to study that day. Oftentimes, I have let that you version plan sit there for quite a while. 
But I pray, God, that you give us a zeal. Give us a passion, a passion for understanding, a passion for growth, Lord. I pray that you give us that desire. With everybody praying right now, nobody's looking, nobody's trying to watch you and see what you're doing. I'm not even going to turn to look. This is between you and God. If you know, I don't have it right now. If you know, God, I want that, I just don't feel it. If you know that this is where you want to be, but you just don't get it. Pray right now. Seek the Lord and ask him, Lord, help me in this. Give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. God, give me that desire for you. Give me that fresh wind, that fresh fire, and that passion deep inside that I want to seek you that I want to grow with you and I want to understand you. Give me, and if I'm still not there, give me the desire for the desire. With everybody still praying, I'd be remiss if I did not. If you are here today and you're sitting to yourself and you're saying, I have no idea why they even want to read that book. Or if you're thinking, there's something I'm missing then. I'm going to hear to tell you that we believe that Jesus Christ was the son of God. He came to earth and he died for all of our sins and for forgiveness so that we may join him in heaven. If you do not know Jesus and you want to today, raise your hand so I can pray with you. Or if it's online, shoot us a message so that we can pray with you and give you resources. We're going to pray that right now. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have lost my way. But I do believe that you, Lord, are the Son of God and that you died for me and for my sins and to save the world. Lord, I ask that you forgive me and that you save me, Lord Jesus, that I may know you and come to know you and turn my life around. In your name we pray, amen. Church, thank you. Know your weapon, sharpen it, study it. Be ready, we'll see you at small groups.